Xavier Nation, how are we doing? How about that? Xavier 89, DePaul 84, quarterfinals of the Big East tournament. I'm sure you guys were confident the whole way. I'm sure there were no flashbacks to the last few years. I'm sure you guys felt good about that one the entire time, right up until the final two minutes when Xavier finally took the lead back. Load them up. Go ahead. I'm ready to take your calls right away. Colby Jones was incredible down the stretch of this game, taking over. He scored 11 of his 22 points in the final 10 minutes of action. He had 18 of the 22 in the second half. Sean Miller said in the postgame while he was on Fox Sports 1 with the crew there that they just kept calling Colby's number time and time again, and he delivered. And Sean pointed out that Colby did one of the most difficult things to do in all of sports, which is turn around a game where you started off struggling. Colby didn't have a good night initially. The first half wasn't good for him. But the way he came through in the second half is basically how he's been playing the last week and a half, two weeks of the season here. He's been unbelievable. All right, I got a call from Jerome Hunter already. So we'll jump in and take Jerome Hunter. Anyone else who wants to get a call in here, go ahead and load it up. And we'll take your calls all night as long as you guys want to go. A wild game here in the quarterfinals of the Big East Tournament. Xavier wins 89-84. Jerome Hunter Fan Club, what do you got for me? Hey, you already know, first and foremost, all thanks and praise to our Lord and Savior, Jerome Hunter. Amen. You know, I would be remiss, Rick, if I first don't give you a big congratulations on your Norsemen. A huge accomplishment for the men of Northern Kentucky. Hey, it was a great time. It was a, a lot of fun uh, calling the game, and then the celebration afterward was also Hell yeah. I will. I will say the best function was uh, watching on ESPN Plus being able to stop the broadcast and line up with the radio broadcast. So you gave me some exciting, uh, what, Monday and Tuesdays, I think, right? Yeah, that's right. Hell yeah. So now if you, if you don't mind, let's play a little flashback, right? We remember three years ago, right, we lost to DePaul at Madison Square Garden, right? Wednesday night, right? Yep. Now, if we remember, what happened that next day, you know, world event-wise, right? Rudy Gobert. Yeah. So, us here at the Jerome Hunter Fan Club would like to officially declare COVID is over. COVID is over, baby! Woo! This is a positive development. You know, I actually, uh, Tuesday night after NKU won the Horizon League Championship, the coaches came out to a spot that the administration and some of us were at celebrating. And when Darren Horn walked in, I said, coach, I feel pretty confident that there's not going to be a global pandemic in the next two days and you will get to play in this NCAA tournament. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think COVID is officially over at this point. But, yeah, you know, I mean, and I also I do have to hit back you. I was confident the entire time, mostly because if I wasn't confident, my superstition would take over. But um, what a game. They did what they needed to do, and it's March, and that's all that matters. The W is the W. I, I mean, especially for this group of core guys, right? Absolutely. They just needed to see one go down, so to speak. It's like the, the way things have finished for them the last few years in these – now, this wasn't a must-win game, but just March games in general with importance, they haven't gone well. And uh, that was a refreshing feeling, I have to imagine, for all those guys in that locker room tonight. Well, I mean, right, none of them's won a Big East tournament game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I believe that's correct, yes. And so, I mean, you you know, I I would assume for some of them, they probably had some confidence given what they did at the NIT, but, I mean, there's no, there can't be a bigger boost to your confidence about what you can accomplish in the postseason than finally actually 
accomplishing something. Yeah, it's DePaul, but that team had us had our number at, at their house. They almost had our number tonight. They had our number three years ago, but it doesn't matter. Sean Miller's in charge, baby. It's a tough matchup. I think DePaul has proven that. That is not a team that Xavier matches up well with. They give them trouble in those ball screens, and I have a feeling I'm going to talk more about that with our uh, our next caller, Doug Tift, who's on the line. But, I mean, the, Xavier found a way in this one. That's all you could say. It was ugly. The defense was poor for about 30-ish minutes probably in this one. Uh, but they they were good when it counted. They found a way down the stretch. Absolutely. I'll give I'll give my last time to let someone else come on. You know, I just know the national media is going to run with it, away with this. I know Lenardi. I know that Bozo, Seth Davis, they're going to doubt us. But, hey, we get toast, baby. Watch out. We're a deep march team. Let's go. That's all. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Jerome Hunter Fan Club, one of our favorites around here, Muskie Report podcast. Bring in Doug. Doug, what would you think of tonight's game? Hey. Um, so, first off, the – the stark difference, I think, between this year and previous years um, of just like Biggie's tournament performance. But one thing, point that you've been, been making for like six months now is that in previous years, Xavier has not had the guy at the end of the game. When you're down one, you need a bucket. Here's the best, best player on the floor type of thing. And yep. my God, that was, that, that was Colby tonight for sure, at least in the last five minutes after – Gibson cooled off. And that's, I feel like everyone has felt like Colby is capable of that for at least two years. And uh, we've just rarely seen him be that dominant and that assertive. And all of a sudden, I mean, I, I, I take that back. Last year during the NIT, I think he played that way. And that was really the first time we had seen it over multiple games in a row like that. And then now all of a sudden, the end of this season and tonight's game, he he's in that takeover mode where he looks like an NBA first round pick. Yeah. And it's like, there were, he, he had what 10 drives there in the second half, four or five of them where he missed a pretty short layup or lost the ball out of bounds or something like that. But you're right. Every time he got the ball, he was just putting his head down right to the rim and, you know, Javon Johnson or whoever else it was, was not exactly the type of guy that's going to keep him out of the lane. No, not at all. Doug, where did you think this changed for Xavier in terms of the defense against Dumoja Gibson and, and DePaul's ball screens? I, I was texting uh, Paul Frischner this earlier. almost blasphemy as a uh, Xavier fan cause, to criticize Sean Miller at this point. But I think this might have been the worst game that, that Miller has coached all year. It's You walk into a game, you know from – a month and a half ago, that DePaul is going to kill you on ball screens. DePaul is going to run 75 ball screens today. And you got to figure out how to do it, how to defend against that. And the the drop coverage did not work in Chicago at all. And Gibson torched you on it. The drop coverage did not really work in Cincinnati. Gibson torched you on it. And he walks into the game again, playing a drop coverage, and Gibson torches them on it. It's like, <laughs> fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me, I guess. Fool me the third time. What are you doing? And then after 25 minutes, Sean eventually waves the white flag and start and changes up the ball screen coverage and starts putting Nunji out, um, at least out toward the three-point line to, to throw off Gibson's rhythm, and the whole game changed. All of a sudden, they're, getting, they're stringing together stops, and the entire game changes. But frustrating to watch as uh, it took Sean so long to, to – 
have the light bulb come on. Yeah, I am curious about what made the determination of when it was time to to make that call and switch it. Because like you said, it was obvious that it was an issue in the last two games. If you went back and watched, especially that second game, the first game, Gibson was getting him off the dribble a little bit more. Sule Boom was guarding him. He was getting the lane, getting to the rim a lot. But in that second game, they did a much better job. Colby Jones was guarding him, and they didn't let him get in the lane nearly as much or finish at the rim, but he was still dribbling into five three-pointers in that game all because of the ball screen coverages where Xavier was dropping and, you know, there was really nothing but space after he came off that high screen. So you're right. I mean, it was a little curious that they went back to that same thing. They stuck with it so long. And here's the real kicker. I could have seen if they tried other stuff and it didn't work and it blew up in their face and you're like, well, they knew that was going to happen. That's why they weren't trying something else. This was their best option. But to your point, as soon as they switched it up and they went to the high hedge, they were much better defensively and they were able to contain him a little bit. So uh, yeah, I am curious to, to see or hear if there's a reasoning that comes out for why they made that switch when they made it. I was shocked on myself at the end of the game. Cause the one time they did get burned on it was with like a minute left when they were up three, when uh, who was it? Angenda slipped the ball screen and got the dunk to, to cut it to one. <laughs> I was, I wish I had a camera on Sean for that. He probably was losing his mind. Cause that's the exact reason why you don't do that. Why you don't, hard hedge there but yeah and i for the most part and the other thing i think doug if i'm guessing is that you're in a situation where you can't afford to have jack nunji in foul trouble and with gibson's yeah. quickness if you've got nunji hard hedging up off the uh high ball screen i mean what it, at least 25 or 30 percent of the time if gibson really drives it hard at nunji's hip he's going to be able to flail his head back and get a call from the officials so my guess is that's why they waited as long as they could to actually switch it up and start hard hedging with Nunji just so they could try to avoid foul trouble as long as possible. But again, I'm, I am curious to hear the answer to that. Yeah. One final one. And then a lot of other people can, if you're, you're looking ahead to tomorrow um, I know Creighton's been a bad matchup a little bit, but Villanova is one of the hottest teams in the country. Yeah. Who would, if if you're looking at some of the issues Xavier had today with with ball screen coverage and just the the defensive profile in general, who's the the more nightmarish matchup for you? I still think it's Creighton, and honestly, that might be more because of the defensive end than the offensive end. I think Creighton is much better at taking Xavier out of what Xavier wants to do with their defense, and that would concern me more as a Xavier fan. It's like, look, if we can't stop them, so be it but I just want to make sure we're scoring at a high efficiency on, on our end of the floor and, and we can make it a run and gun type game and, and try to win like they did tonight in a, in a high scoring affair. So I think that's, that's what I would choose is go with Villanova. Obviously that'll be a low possession game, so it won't be as high scoring, but at least you feel like you can score with Villanova more so than with Creighton. Yeah. And it sounded like there were a lot of Xavier fans in the building today. So I imagine those folks will stick around for tomorrow. Yeah. It seemed like the atmosphere was great in the building all day long, not even just for the Xavier game, but even those early session games. And then like you said, the, when Xavier started making their run, it started getting much louder in that arena. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you later, Paul. Let's talk to you later, Rick. See Thanks Doug. Appreciate it. All right. I do not see any other calls currently lined up. So go ahead and load them up. If you want to get in here, you want to talk about, tonight's game I think we've hit on some of the major points already two really good calls to start off the show here and uh, Colby Jones you just can't say enough about him 22 points 10 of 19 from the field 
six rebounds in this one, two assists. He did have four turnovers. He was the only player on Xavier's team who had multiple turnovers in this game. The team only had eight for the entire contest. Colby with four of those. Sule Boom played 36 minutes with only one turnover. He had two assists. Jerome Hunter had one turnover. Adam Kunkel had two assists and one turnover. Uh, Jack Nunji actually had four assists, no turnovers in 36 minutes of play. He also had the double-double with 23 points and 10 rebounds. So uh, offensively, when you look at Xavier's numbers from this game, I mean, they shoot 49%. They were 9 of 20 from three. They got to the free throw line 27 times and shot 74%. The numbers look great offensively. You would have never thought that they were trailing the entire game against DePaul, but uh, DePaul on the other side shot over 61% for the entire game. So uh, that's really what what happened there. All right, we're going to bring in Dad. And again, this isn't my dad. This is just dad. Uh, yep. Dad, how are you? What would you think of the game? Rick, doing well. Uh, I thought second half was uh, very good. Uh, anytime you can outscore your opponent by 14 and a half is a good half. Um, the first half left a, a lot to be desired, especially on defense. Uh, offensively, like you were saying, they, they did a great job. Um, the only thing that concerns me going forward is depth. I mean, you take a look at the minutes that – um, that the guys played today, four of the five starters played at least 35 minutes. I mean, that's, that's an awful lot. And there were times during the game where you can tell that they were, they were beat. I think Sean used his timeouts pretty well, uh, along with the media timeouts to try to get guys, uh, rest. Uh, but that lack, lack of depth, only playing seven guys and really, I mean, Cesar was in there for a while, or Caesar, as Gus called yeah. it, uh, was in there for, what, six, eight minutes? Six minutes, yeah. Uh, yeah, total. So, he had I mean, zero he, statistics, one foul. Right, right. And, um, you know, Des played pretty well. He played 22 minutes, most of which I think came in um, Hunter's minutes because he, he only had 28, which for Hunter is, you know, a lot of minutes considering where he's – you know, been playing and coming into this game or into this uh, tournament. Um, but you can't beat the results like a couple of guys were saying on Twitter. Hey, it's March. It's when in advance. And that's what they did. And, you know, as we mentioned before, this team hasn't won a Big East game. None of these players have um, as far as a Big East tournament game. And finally, they've gotten over that that hump, I think. And, and I think that's going to help. Going forward, obviously, and somebody else mentioned it earlier, the NIT run, um, you know, gave him a little confidence as far as playing in a uh, tournament-type atmosphere. You know, those six games that they played. Yeah, maybe. Extra games in the NIT um, kind of help. Uh, now, is that going to help them tomorrow, considering how many minutes they played today? Obviously, they're, they're going to have to – do some recoup. At least they got the, the the late game tomorrow, so they get they get a little extra. Plus, they're playing the teams that are playing the late game tonight, um, so they'll have a couple hours additional rest than Creighton or Villanova. But um, yeah, they played very well in the second half, and I think you know as as you were discussing that that defensive change um, there at about the twelve to ten minute mark uh, really made a big difference in that second half. And that's when the run really started. And as Sean, if, if you were watching the game mentioned, Hey, the last four minutes, which was basically the last three and a half 
the best team's going to win. And in that last three and a half minutes, the best team was Xavier. I mean, they were down, what, two or three at that point, win by five. So in that period of time, they, they outscored them by, you know, seven or eight points um, and definitely came away with the win. So I think everything's been positive as far as, you know, that, that second half and at, at that end. It's good to see them win one like this uh, to come back. I think I was uh, seeing this was their largest comeback of the year. Uh, being down nine at halftime, and I think they were down what as many as fifteen or so. Yeah, uh, I think I think it might have gotten more than that. Let me see here. Uh, they were down by thirteen actually. That thirteen was 13. the largest lead for DePaul. That was with fifteen minutes to play in the second half at thirty nine twenty six. Right. So I mean, coming back from from that type of a deficit, and especially in the second half. Um, they did very well. And the turnovers, as you mentioned, only eight for the game. Uh, I, they only had a few in the second half. I think the, probably, you know, five or six of those turnovers. No, they only had one in, well, the, they only had one in the second half. One in the second yeah, half. Yeah, seven of them were in the first yeah. half. And, and, like, the thing about right. this is, is, you know, you can be upset about the performance and think, oh, they played terribly. They didn't play with enough effort in the first half and all that. And, Look, the defense was not good, and the focus no. and intensity wasn't the same it's been. But they could have also very well have gone out there, played that first half, and DePaul went 2 of 10 from 3 as opposed to 7 of 10 from 3, and you're fine. Right. DePaul yep. shot the lights out. All five oh, of their starters played about as well as they could for those first several minutes of that game, and they just took it to Xavier, and that's part of what happens in March on a neutral floor. Sometimes right. you get that. Sometimes you have to withstand it, even from a bad team. And that's what good teams do. They take that punch, they keep their composure, and then they make a run when it's winning time. And and Sean Miller has this team back doing exactly that. Right. Yeah. I think, and you could tell that from the from the players' reaction. I don't think there was there was never a point in time where they were yelling at each other or pointing, uh, other than saying, "Hey, you know, on this defensive rotation, maybe that you got to come up and get get the man um, coming to the hoop." You know, that kind of thing, but not like you see some teams when they're down by 13 points or, you know, whatever it is in the second half. And, you know, the Pauls just chucking everything they chuck up is going into the hoop. I mean, they shot 70%, right, from from threes. In the first half, yeah. In the first half, yeah. I think they shot 70% from the field in the first half and 100% from the free throw line in the first half. I mean, you, you, you start looking at – how well they shot and Xavier's offense played well that entire time. It's just that you needed to get those defensive stops and they were able to do that in the second half. Yeah. And again, I think uh, probably Xavier knew that they were going to have trouble with the strategy they were using, but they didn't want to risk playing most of the game without Jack Nungy on the floor. So they said, we're going to keep playing the drop coverage to hide him and avoid the foul trouble. Uh, At least that's my guess. I can't speak for the coaching staff, but I assume that's why, they played it out the way they did. And, um, you know, I just I, I think really the, the defensive change was big in the second half. But I also think there was a moment in the second half at uh, the 749 mark where Emoja Gibson picked up his fourth foul. And at that time, oh, yes, the score was 73 65. Xavier was still down by eight, but they put him in less than two minutes later. 
at 5.53 because they could feel the momentum slipping away. And by that time, Xavier had already cut it back to a two-point game, 73-71. And, you know, he stabilized it a little bit. He made a three right after he came back in the game. And and it took a little bit longer before Xavier would ever take the lead, another several minutes, actually. But it felt like at that moment, to me, Xavier's winning this game. They've got all the momentum, and DePaul is starting to crack. Yeah, I agree with that. I was I was chatting with my, my son with – felt the same way once once they got to within that three-point range you could just feel that momentum swift uh, shift you could hear the um the crowd the xavier um people there cheering the xavier coming from the crowd um you know you could see the players when they would make a shot you know encouraging the crowd to um to to get louder and you know, it was just a fantastic atmosphere in that second half, and I think you're right. And also, when DePaul used their final timeout, um, I think they used that at, what, the three-minute mark or so? And so they had no timeouts at the end um, to call, so I think that was helpful. Xavier still had two at the end. Um, so you're getting a tie-up. You've got those available. Um, I think that, that part of it kind of helped as well. Um, down the stretch. All right. But, um, yeah, I think that's all I got. I appreciate it, uh, Rick. And um, go Xavier. Let's win another one tomorrow. All right, Dad. Appreciate the call. Thank you for that. All righty. I'm going to get to Phil here next. And also, if you have a call right now, you want to get in here, you want to talk about anything that happened tonight, you want to talk about tomorrow night's matchup, who do you like more, Villanova, Creighton, who would you rather play tomorrow night? This game just tipped off here the second Game of tonight's Big East quarterfinal session at Madison Square Garden. I'm looking at Kyle Neptune right now on my TV as we talk. So let me fill here and, again, load up your calls if you want to get in here and talk about the game. Hey, uh, so I was just calling in, long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, That's beautiful. First this, off, I mean, this is just sports talk radio at this point, right? That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, obviously. Yeah, no, I mean, I've been – I figured do this, and then I can call in a Mo show once I get a little more confidence. But Get your um, reps up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so watching tonight's game, definitely want to root for Villanova. I think we uh, we can match up a little bit better. I think Creighton and UConn head and shoulders above everybody else in the Big East in terms of talent. But um, yeah, in terms of just my call, like I going back to what Dad said, like we looked very tired at the end of the game. Do you see Cam Craft playing at all in this Big East? Hold on. Let, or, let me uh, let me ask you something about that though. It, yeah. When did Xavier make their run and play their best basketball in this game? Uh, late down the stretch. When did they seem to make every shot that they took? That is also late down the when stretch. When did they not have any turnovers in was all the second half, right? I don't. I guess I don't understand that yeah. they looked so tired down it, the stretch that I, they were like I, – I don't know. Just watching the game on TV, it just like you could see the guy like it looked – Nungy, hands on his knees. I, I, I will agree there. Jack Nungy, and we have talked about this many times, the second he plays over like 26 minutes, the guy looks exhausted, and it's been that way ever since he got here, and it, it's the way it's going to be, yeah. and, and you can't get around that. But, like, aside from that, I mean, Colby Jones looked like he could have played another 25 minutes. No, yeah, but, I mean, even it seemed like even Kunkel was getting tired there towards the I, end. I, I don't doubt that they're tired. I just think that, that the, yeah. the whole, like, every time they don't play well, it's because they're tired thing, I just don't necessarily agree with. Like, we've seen them play well yeah. down the stretch of this season – after they were short, when they were down to only like five and a half active bodies that they wanted to play in games, and they've played good basketball in those games, and they've won them down the stretch with comebacks. So 
I'm not saying the depth doesn't matter. I'm just not seeing the same fatigue issues down the stretch of these games that everyone else has seen. That's that's when they played their best tonight. Yeah, no, I, I that's a that's a good point. I I guess it's just more so like playing more games. I think in like a shorter time period, like you're not yeah. getting the multiple days off in a row. Yeah, and we'll see how that affects um, them tomorrow, the, right? Like yeah, that, that could yeah. be way different. And then, of course, in the Big East Championship, it's a much bigger concern where you have the third game in three days. But to me, that's like yeah. you're playing with house money at that point anyway. So who really cares if yeah. it impacts you there? And then once you get to the NCAA tournament, you got a nice layoff leading up to it. And then you have two games in a matter of three days, basically. And then you get another layoff. Yeah. So, like, I don't think fatigue is going to be a huge issue for Xavier going into the tournament. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I – I guess that it's just like the common talking point. I guess that's just kind of why I now brought the, up. But I was also well, Phil. The, the the bigger issue to me though is that they don't have enough bodies. Like if Jack Nunji gets in foul trouble, then they are yeah. screwed, right? The lack of depth is a concern, yeah. but it's more a concern of just like you don't have enough talented players than it is the guys are going to be too tired. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, so with that, like, do you see Cam Craft playing at all, either in the Big East or in the NCAA? I do not think you're going to see Cam Craft in the Big East tournament. Sean Miller told Adam Baum uh, on Monday, Adam Baum tweeted this out, that Cam Craft is available for the Big East tournament, but only in an emergency situation. And, you know, he hasn't been practicing. He hasn't played in live action. And he was just starting to start to show a little bit of confidence. And it seemed like things were clicking for him a little bit in those last few games uh, right before he got hurt. So, I just don't know that he's going to be in a place where they feel comfortable giving him minutes in important games. So I don't think you'll see him at all in the Big East tournament. And I'd be surprised unless they're really in a pinch if he sees any minutes in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So do you, but like in terms of if Nunji or somebody were to get into serious foul trouble, do you think he would be that top guy coming off the bench? Or do you think it would be somebody else that hasn't gotten a lot of minutes, like a Deontay or Kiki if Kiki comes back? I get, no, Kiki's done. That's right. Yeah, Kiki, Kiki will be done. Um, I don't see Deontay really playing many minutes. I think, you know, if you, if you have to play a backup big man, it's going to be Cesar Edwards. He played six yeah. minutes tonight, uh, mostly ineffective, I think you would say. But uh, as long as he can give them five-ish minutes a game, I think, and not completely be a liability on defense and on the glass, then you can pretty much live with that for the most part. Yeah, yeah. All right, and then the uh, just one other quick thing. Um, just looking at Barack and Matrix, like what five seed do you see us, since we're pretty much locked up a four seed at this point, is there a five seed that really sticks out to you as a bad matchup or anything like that? I was thinking Miami, but after watching tonight's game, I'm like, yeah, I definitely don't want to face their guards. Yeah, that that's maybe the one that you would be most scared of. I'll be honest, like, I probably need to watch more San Diego State and St. Mary's in depth in terms of like breaking them down. Uh, mm-hmm. I've caught them a decent amount, especially working the overnight shifts while I was at Channel 12 Mountain West and West Coast Conference games are on fairly frequently late at night. So I would catch some of those. But um, in terms of like actually going through the matchups, I don't have a great enough feel. I think Xavier would be in a pretty good spot against all four of those teams, though, if I'm being honest. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Rick. I uh, appreciate what you and Paul do regularly here. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for calling in. Do it more often. And I think you're ready for most show. For thank you. <laughs> all right. Have a good night. And we're going to go to, uh, oh, all right. Special surprise. Andy Piccarillo is on the line. Andy, how are you, sir? 
All right, so that was like stressful as hell. But also, I think it's confirmed. Should we rest our starters tomorrow or not? <laughs> I, I would say no. Is that what is that what you're suggesting? Um, no, because I think our starters played a very gutsy game, and I'd like to see them play as a fan. I'd like to see them play tomorrow. So, and don't you, don't you think this win was good for those guys? I mean, even though they're veterans and they've been around, and I'm sure mentally they understand this is a new year and all that stuff. The fact that each of the last few seasons they've seen it go up in flames when it got to February and March, don't you think it was good to see them have a comeback win on a neutral floor at Madison Square Garden like that? Yeah, like, at, in the first half, it was like kind of thinking, okay, maybe MSG just might be a little too much for us. But because like the last time we've won a game there was with Kyle Casson and Ryan Wellage. And we all we all know their story. Well, and, in the Big East tournament, that is, of course. I mean, you yeah. can't forget about the okay, NIT. Yeah. For yes, yeah. when it when it matters. Yeah. when it matters. Yes. yes. Uh, but yeah, like it's, it's definitely good for like a guy like Colby, and I know, and we'll we'll kind of count it for a guy like because uh, at the beginning of the season, Zach Freeman made it a big point that he has never won a game in Madison Square Garden. He's still like a big part of this team, so I like to count this as a W for him. Uh, I'll allow like, it just to see these guys have that opportunity to get that horse off their back or monkey off the back. I think it's the animal that's in reference there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, get the monkey off the, off their back. I'm, I'm, I've gained a, with, with the last four minutes of with it, with it, the way they played and seeing them make those clutch buckets and finally just put it all together after a very strugglesome game where DePaul just seemed to make everything and everything seemed to bounce DePaul's way to gut it out like that. I'm very confident against either of these teams tomorrow and really the rest of March. I'm really not scared of anybody at that point because we've shown no matter what, when like we can lose three key players all in one day and put together a winnable game. So we can hang with anybody, and that's really what today showed because DePaul was out of their mind. That was, they, they played possessed today. They really did in the first half. Um, second half, and again, a lot of that – changed when Xavier started switching some things defensively. So Xavier's lack of defense in the first half definitely contributed to DePaul being unconscious. But look, we've all seen DePaul play enough games over the last however many years to know that it's not every night that even if you give them wide open shots, that they're going to shoot 70% from three-point range in the first half. That's an anomaly. Uh, and they they hit the they they hit their open ones which they hit their open ones which every division 1 basketball team should, but they're also hitting ones when we even played great defense. Like they're they're even hitting fourteen footers on turnarounds, and the, it just hitting every part of the rim. And they had soft enough touch for it to go in. Like those are shots that we never see DePaul make. And we saw DePaul play yesterday, where they played honestly awful, and ended up gutting out a win because Seton Hall didn't play well. Then they come out and play just completely unconscious today. Like they seem like a team of destiny, which we all, everybody in the Big East, all Big East Twitter, we love DePaul. We have a lot of respect for their fans. Uh, so it was not like a shock, and they they played really hard for Coach Stubblefield. So it's not like it was a total shock, but to see them play that well and to still be able to gut out a win like that, it's it feels good for the rest of the tournament. Can we talk about this guy Emoja Gibson now that? His career is over, and he's not going to be torturing Xavier fans anymore. A sixth-year guy, he transfers into DePaul this year, and in three games, he was an absolute monster against Xavier. I mean, he was really fun to watch. I know not fun in the moment for Xavier fans because he's making you go crazy, but 
the dude hits some tough shots. He's super quick off the dribble. I mean, he shoots the three well off the bounce coming off screens. Like, he is a fun point guard to watch, and he caused a lot of trouble for Xavier this year. I honestly, like, I, I feel a lot of the same feelings I felt for Kamar Baldwin. Like, I respect a lot of his game, but hated facing him. So, therefore, I hate him <laughs> and wish he never played basketball again. That makes sense. Uh, but to me. now that his career is over against us, like, hats off to the dude. He's incredible. I'm so happy I never have to see him again. That checks out. Andy, what else you got? Anything? Uh, that is pretty much it. I'm glad we got to experience another win in the Navies before we go to completely royal blue. And let, let's beat either Villanova or Creighton tomorrow. I don't care. Let's win a Big East tournament, even though it doesn't matter. All right. Andy, I'm going to go to your partner in crying, Cap, here. Thanks for the call. Oh, hi, Cap. Missed you. All right. Let's uh, take it to Cap here. CapEx, I hear you just opened a door. Where are we headed? Rick, we are going to the cellar to drink some brews. That sounded like the old AOL entrance sound. <laughs> aim. Go, go. I'll do that. I'll do that when I log off. I what was it. your AIM screen name? Uh, it's really embarrassing. I was like 12 years old. It was J-Dog 530, Derek Brown and David West's numbers. J-Dog. Not yeah. that embarrassing, I'd say. Like I thought it was yeah. going to be way worse. Well, even like when I was 12, even 12 year old girls were like, well, your screen name's embarrassing as f. So I was like, oh, f. I guess I'm a piece of f. So it goes. Well, I'm still embarrassing. I'm 30 years old now, still embarrassing. Anyway, Cap. <laughs> Sorry, there's a lady. Yeah, family there. show, and I mean, there's a lady in your presence. Show some respect. I'm, I apologize. I apologize. The queen has arrived. Wow, Cap. Yeah, Mama Cap is here. Anyway, uh, that's your mom. I mean, but Andy stole my take. I'm just pissed. I, I'm a distraught Xavier fan. Why the f? We're even trying tonight. What what was Sean thinking playing our players and uh, trying the biggest tournament? Oh, now you're just trolling. No, it's complete real take. Me and like 50 people on the message board feel the same. <laughs> <laughs> How angry were you during our podcast earlier this week? I was there. I actually had to log off, Rick. It was 30 minutes. I'm not going to get back. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Brutal. That's how some people feel. Yeah. That's how some people felt. It's real. I mean, I, I guess we got to support the people, but – Man, I mean, Rick, uh, I only was able to glance at the game. I was actually, quote-unquote, working uh, during the Yeah, game. I can tell. You think it was more of a – <laughs> right, I was working really hard. You think it was more of a byproduct of just shot-making from DePaul or, or some kind of schematic error on Xavier's part? Well, I think it's exactly what Doug and I were talking about earlier. Part of it is that they were using that drop coverage on the ball screens and Gibson was just pulling up and hitting wide-open threes. So Xavier definitely yeah. contributed to the shot-making with the lack of defense in the first half. And it was clear because once they changed that and they started hard-hedging with Nunji in the second half, those wide-open threes weren't there anymore and DePaul went one for six from deep in the second half. So, I mean, I think it's definitely schematic-related to some extent. But also, again, DePaul doesn't go seven of ten from three when they get open threes anytime usually. So um, that was also an anomaly, even though they were open shots, you're not going to shoot seven of 10 every single half just because you get some open looks. Yeah. I thought you made a great point. Like DePaul easily could have gone two of 10 and it's no big deal. No, no one would have had an eyelash. It would have been like typical DePaul game. And Xavier would have had a halftime lead probably. (laughs) Facts. And one of the things that sticks out to me, Rick, and you've kind of been talking about this, and, and you're a big, I think we agree, like having a guy. You know, I'd have like Trayvon Blue and having a closer, having a guy to go to when you need a bucket. Is it just me or has Colby become that guy, like officially, over the last like third of the season? I think so. And I, I don't want to repeat this, but I know not everyone listens to everything. So 
I do wonder if there's something clicking for Colby the same way it did last year when they got into the NIT and Paul Scruggs went down with that ACL injury in the first game against Cleveland State. And then all of a sudden we saw Colby go on a stretch where he played the best basketball of his career. He was assertive on offense. He was unstoppable. He also was playing the point guard position half the time because Paul Scruggs wasn't there anymore. It, 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 it makes me wonder if like at a certain point when he realized Zach Freeman wasn't going to be back this year, if something clicked with him again where he's like, all right, it's time for me to step up and, and start taking over again because he's been a different player over the last, what, what is it, four or five games now? Exactly. And I think, that, I think that Xavier has an identity down the stretch. I think that could be huge because I feel like now, like you said, there's just no deferring. I think we know it's it's Sule and Colby's team down the stretch. I think that could be really, really huge, just that decisiveness down the stretch. Well, and how much does it help now? Because I think some people were starting to talk about, well, teams have figured out Sule at the end of games because, you know, you had the Villanova right. situation where Eric Dixon defended him well and he was begging for a foul call and didn't get it. And that, that desperation shot he took was ugly. I'm not all right. bought in on like teams have figured out how to stop Sule Boom just because he didn't get one foul call against Villanova. But at the same time, I do think that teams understand, hey, in end-of-game situations, for the most part, Xavier was going to set a high ball screen for Sule Boom, and he was going to come downhill and try to draw a foul against a switch. And now you have another option. You can, do, you can throw a wrinkle with Colby. You can use those two guys together in a two-man game or like a slip of screen or something like that where the defense has to make a decision what they're going to do against those two guys specifically. So I think right. having Colby step up in this way and everyone has seen it now, they have that confidence of like Colby's going to be there at the end of the games. He'll be our guy. I think that breeds a lot of confidence in everybody else in those situations too. No doubt. And, like, how overblown are those end-of-game situations? It's, like, it's one play. Like, it's, sorry, excuse my French. But, like, I think that just gets so overblown. Like, one play didn't go our way. It doesn't mean that Sule can't close a game. Right. And also, like, pe- people are like, well, he was begging for a call. It's like, well, yeah, but that's also how he's closed out, like, five different games this year is doing exactly <laughs> right. that. Like, that's part of his deal. So, you have to take the good and with the bad. could have gone our way. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I have two more things. Um, one is Colby Jones, the most improved three-point shooter on a season-by-season basis that we've seen at Xavier. Uh, that's a really good question. I'm trying to think who would be in that conversation. I know None in recent memory that I can think of. I feel like they either show up on campus as a shooter and they stay a shooter, or they show up as a non-shooter and stay a non-shooter. I don't think I've seen a guy go from essentially a non-shooter to a legit with with attempts like north of 40 percent three-point shooter yeah i mean i think Derek brown people point to his final year where he shot a high percentage didn't take a lot of threes but shot a high percentage before he left to go pro but yeah i mean when you look at colby his first year he only attempted 27 threes and he shot 33 percent. he was nine of 27 sophomore year he shoots 29 percent on 72 attempts 21 of 72 and now this year he's already over 105 attempts and i don't think that includes tonight but he's 42 of 106 on the year, 39.6 percent. Um, that's that's a really good question, Cap, and I, I don't I'm not well enough prepared to give you a good answer on it, but I, I need to look <laughs> at that because I can't think of any recent guys since I've been covering the team that have made that type of jump as a three point shooter. Right. BJ Raymond was a guy that. Yeah, I was thinking BJ honestly off the top of my head. Yeah, he he had a now he had a reputation when he came in as a shooter and he didn't shoot well initially, and that was. Partially because he had a limited role. Miles, Miles Davis, maybe. Yeah, but Miles Davis started out as a shooter. I mean, he went through that huge slump in yeah, the second half just, of the year, but he shot well initially. Right. 
Exactly. I'm just I'm just joking because he went like over 40 or whatever it was at one yeah, point. Yeah. Um, but but how big has that been for this team too? Because especially with Freeman going out, that's another huge scoring piece that's gone. And with this lineup, like with Jerome on the floor, essentially a non three point shooter. Uh, all shots in the world to our our Lord and Savior. But like, let's say Colby was a non shooter this year. Having four shooters versus three, like on the floor at one time, I think is a massive spacing jump. Yeah, it makes a big difference. There's no doubt about that. And it's not like Zach was shooting a lot of threes. He'd only attempted 22 on the year, but he could stretch you a little bit just in general with the mid range, the passing, the high low stuff they were doing. Like Zach could stretch you in different ways aside from just only shooting three-pointers so um it's been big that Colby has been knocking down these shots and and again the way he stepped up late too has put defenses in a similar position where they have to pick and choose okay like who is our best perimeter defender going to guard is he going to guard Colby or is he going to guard Sule Boom the same way uh, a month or two ago they were having to make that decision inside with Jack Nungy and Zach Freemantle no question. It's just huge, especially when you think about Claude and, and having Cesar Edwards now in the rotation. Like, if Colby's a non-shooter, that's a lot of non-shooters on the floor, which, which is massive. But uh, my last thing is this, and, and you track this more than I do, but just to, like, get it in our heads, like, has Xavier cemented a four-seed? No doubt. No doubt. I, well, I, I should say, no worse than a four-seed. If if they win the Big wow. East tournament, maybe we have that conversation about them moving up to a three-seed. I don't think a win tomorrow night is enough to get it done in itself. I think right. you'd probably need to win the Big East tournament to to move up to a three seed. And even then, I'm not really sure if it happens. But to me, there is no doubt now that they are a four seed at worst. So there's really nothing they can do tomorrow. And that's huge, man. The difference between the 4-13 and 5-12, in my opinion, has not been talked about enough. Like how different those games are. No, I completely agree. You do, you do not want any part of that five game. I know it's become almost cliche at this point, but I really do think it makes a big difference. It really does. And and how horrible would it have been to lose to DePaul for, for that seed line to get lost, like in the biggest tournament in the first game. Like, I feel like Sean's been exercising demons all year, and uh, he did that tonight. Also, I just have to say, Toledo is still sitting on that 13 seed line. Now, it's not necessarily <laughs> likely that Xavier and Toledo would be paired up, but I have to tell you, if those two teams play each other in the first round, it would be one of the most hilarious games of all time because Toledo – will just push it, and they won't care about defense at all. They'll let Xavier score 120, and uh, who knows what Xavier will do on the defensive end. Like, if they play like they did tonight, <laughs> that total would need to be over 200 points for it to have a chance of going under. Like Xavier Loyola back in the it day. It really would be. That's, wow, great reference yeah. cap. I didn't know you knew about that stuff. My dad went to the school. Not the yeah, yeah, all right. That's a yeah, big-time reference right there. Studious, my family. I appreciate that. That's what I appreciate about you. But I'm done. I'm going to sign off. I appreciate the coverage as always. My all right, thanks, Cap. Later on, brother. All right. The man is checking in. Paul Kitchener. Is he still in Madison Square Garden? Is he down the street at Sbarro? Uh, I'm not. I am in the bowels of Madison Square oh. Garden waiting to go back out and watch uh, watch Villanova here. But, uh, man, I don't, want, I don't want to step on anybody's toes of what you guys have probably already talked about. But, God, it just felt like the entire time, Xavier, like the fans traveled well. I, was, I just talked to – to Kunkel and, and uh, Colby, and that interview is going to run in about an hour. And they were both talking about the uh, the environment, and just I, I felt like the Xavier fans traveled really well. The game was right there, and then all of a sudden they didn't have anything to cheer about for an hour and a half. And then at, at the very end, I mean, it was it was a special environment. And and you know, I don't know if if you would agree with this, Rick, but to me, especially going into the game, it just felt like it was going to be one of those tough games where to to get over that mountain, you got to win a tough one and kind of get that monkey off your back. And and 
instead of folding down the stretch, they won the game. But God, what a fun one. What a fun game. Well, Paul, we've said it a few times, I think, earlier on our podcast this week and then on your rebound rundown that came out this morning. I think we talked about Seton Hall, especially without Kadari Richmond, was probably a better matchup for Xavier than DePaul was. DePaul has proven to be a tough matchup, so this wasn't a surprise that they gave Xavier some trouble. No, no doubt. And full transparency to anybody that listened to the rebound rundown, Rick and I recorded two different segments, <laughs> one, one for if Seton Hall won, one for if DePaul won, and we spent about 40 seconds on DePaul and about two or three minutes of the lost tapes on Seton Hall that I do have saved for uh, anybody that wants those lost tapes. They are there. But, uh, yeah, I, it just it, it felt like yesterday when you were watching the game, everybody around me was, was saying, oh, you know, DePaul, 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 and I'm going, I, you know, without, without Kadari Richmond, I – I think you probably want Seton Hall here, right? And and uh, you just see the name on the jersey with DePaul, and you assume, wow, you want DePaul. But the Moja Gibson, I mean, he the foul trouble, if he doesn't pick up those four fouls, this could be a very different Twitter spaces right now. I agree with you big time there. It was right after, I think, the eight-minute mark. We were talking about that earlier. When Moja Gibson picked up that fourth foul, to me, that was the turning point in this game. The, the, the momentum changed after that. They tried to bring him in less than two minutes later, but Xavier had already started the snowball rolling downhill. They'd got it back within two. He held them off a little bit longer, but they, I mean, they were starting to crack at that point. There was nothing he could do to bring them back. Yeah, yeah. What did uh, – I'm just kind of curious. What was the broadcast like from a sense of, like, the game flow, you know, Gus and Rat? Was there anything – it was so – it was hard to tell. And, like, the flagrant – I. It, I there were there were so many little things between the flagrant and I, I saw people tweeting that Gibson should have picked up his fifth foul with a push off, but that was on the other end of the court for me, and they didn't show a replay. W- was there anything like as, as far as all that goes that that sticks out? I mean, I mean, I did think Gibson definitely should have been called for his fifth foul. That it was an obvious push off, but aside from that, I thought the officials had a great game. I mean, out of the Xavier games we've had recently, where there have been. 12 to 15 different things that people are talking about afterwards and complaining about aside from that one no call. And it was a big play, definitely. But I can't really think of many other moments that people were bothered by or complained about, at least that I saw on, on social media. So I thought from that perspective, it was fine. Um, I'm, I'm actually curious because on the broadcast all day, not even just in that first game of the night session, but even in the earlier session day, it seemed like the atmosphere there is great. It was, it was loud during the UConn game. I thought Xavier fans sounded like they traveled well late when this game uh, got close and Xavier started to make their run. I mean, Paul, you love everything and you always enjoy atmospheres, but like you've also been to the Madison square garden atmosphere and big East atmosphere multiple times. Now, how did this one stack up in your opinion to other years? Yeah, I think this is my fifth one, and I can't remember a time most consistently on Wednesday and Thursday because they sold out last night, and they've sold out both sessions today, and I can't remember a time. Now, they've sold the tickets. I know if you're looking at the broadcast and some of the seats are empty, you know, people are filtering in and out if they're not fans of one team or the other. So they've sold out every game so far. They've sold out all the sessions, and it really did feel – I mean, the UConn crowd – was great today. We've talked about that a lot on here. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, well, where's the Providence crowd? But then Providence comes back from down 20 plus and the Providence crowd sounded like it was a it was a 90 percent filled Providence crowd. And it was just back and forth and back and forth. And they were on their feet. I mean, it just I, I can't remember so consistently from game to game to game where there has been 
this good of a crowd at every single now maybe it's because the games are close and you know in years past we've had a lot of blowouts but every single game today has been within two possessions uh going into the final timeout so that's definitely a huge part of it and you know st john's with the local crowd having the east coast team having the local crowd helps too but yeah i mean that's like what i said here when i joined where it, it just felt like the Xavier crowd was begging. They were begging for something to go their way, for something to go right, and they'd cut it down to seven. Then DePaul would go back to 12, and it just felt like, oh, no, the wind's coming out of the sails again. But then right into the last run and the free throws and everything else, it was it was, uh, it was, was a great Xavier crowd. I know I've, I've seen the messages. I know there are a ton more Xavier fans that are flying out and, and coming in for tomorrow's game here from the East Coast. So um, I, I don't think that, Especially if it's Xavier and Creighton, I, I can't see the score here. I'm, I'm tucked away a little too far from the scoreboard. I, I can't see what's going on. But um, if it's Xavier and Creighton tomorrow, I would have to assume. I mean, there. I will say, I will say, there are a ton of Creighton fans. They usually travel. They well, always but do. Yeah. Every every session, Rick. I've been walking around the concourse and I've been seeing Creighton, Creighton, Creighton everywhere at every session. So. You know, if, if that's my sales pitch to any Xavier fan on the fence to fly out tomorrow if you're or come in if you're in the city, it's uh, if it's Xavier and Creighton, it'll definitely be a at least 50 50 atmosphere, I think, just because of the Midwest. And, you know, if, if Villanova is the one in the final, then Xavier fans going to have their work cut out for them. Paul, I want to ask you one more thing, because it was something that sure. we talked about um, and it drove Cap crazy on our last show. But it, it became a real point of conversation. We're still hearing about it. After seeing the way that game played out, where Xavier gets behind, they have to fight their way back, and they do so. Do you think it was better for them to come back and win that game and have to play another game tomorrow and potentially be wore down? Or do you think it would have been better to get an extra day of rest here? I don't think losing to DePaul is the way that you want to go into the NCAA tournament. I couldn't agree more. I don't th- – like, if you're telling me that you play on quarterfinal Thursday in an emotional double overtime game against Villanova and you lose on a buzzer beater, like, that takes a lot out of you and you don't want to go to the NCAA tournament on a loss. But at the same time, like, you know, that's a whole lot different than getting your doors beat off by DePaul on Thursday night. Like, that's just – to me, those are two different things. And, you know, you're, you're – if anything, Rick, here's the biggest thing for me. And I don't know how much you can read into this because it's it's just each guy would probably handle this differently. But, man, it's just got to feel good to win yep. a game that matters here. It's just got to feel good to know that – now, I know they won the NIT. I know they won the NIT. That no, doesn't count. But it's, it, just, it just has to feel so good to know that you're down by double digits and instead of losing by double digits, you climb all the way back and you win the game. They were up six with 50 seconds left last year and lost the game. And to come back this year and win the game, regardless of what happens tomorrow or Saturday, you just don't go into the NCAA tournament with a double-digit loss to DePaul. There's just no world where that needs to happen. And um, I don't think that that would have been advisable in the least. I think as a Xavier fan, there used to be a time where when those situations were upon you and you were trailing like that in a, a meaningful game, you always had the sense of Xavier's going to make a comeback and they're still in this and they're going to win. Over the last handful of years, that has gone away. And I think to some extent, you have to wonder, did it go away for the players too, especially the way this game was going for a while? I mean, you'd be lying as a Xavier fan if you weren't sitting there at some point during that first half or the first few minutes of the second half and you're not thinking, 
is it something about this group of guys? Do they just not have confidence in these moments? Can they not handle the <laughs> the pressure of the big stage in Madison Square Garden? I mean, that's not to take shots at them because they figured it out and pulled it out. But like, you'd be lying if you said you didn't have those thoughts at some point tonight. So for them to overcome that and prove it to themselves that they can win in those big moments. And this is what Xavier does again. They're the team that makes the comeback and makes the other team crumble down the stretch. Unlike the way things have played out the last few years. I think that was worth its weight in gold, much more than an extra day of rest might've been. Well, Xavier is seven and zero in the quarterfinals since realignment. They're the only team that's undefeated in a quarterfinals since realignment. That says something. And to end that streak against DePaul, it's again, it's just not something that it, it, th- this program prides itself on its ability to close and win down the stretch, especially under a guy like Sean Miller. And uh, I think they reasserted that tonight. And I am very interested to see what kind of a performance we get tomorrow. I mean, I know the D Rick, one thing I want to ask you, and again, this is something that probably showed up a whole letter, a lot better on TV than it did for me sitting behind the basket. Do you think the defense was that bad or were they just hitting tough shots at some points or open? I mean, I know like 80% of their shots were felt like wide open, but it felt like some of them, they just kind of, it's kind of made shots. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a bad take. No, we, we've talked about that a lot, so I'll be really brief here. That, that's been one okay. of my main All talking right. points is even if you give DePaul wide open shots for an entire half like Xavier did in the first half of this one, most times they're not going seven for ten from three. That's what I mean. That's what I yeah. mean. We don't need to they, go on about it more. That's, they that's, still that's shot I mean. the lights out. You had to withstand an unbelievable night on the offensive end from DePaul and Emoja Gibson, especially. And no question Xavier's lack of defense had a lot to do with it, but it was still an outstanding shooting performance by DePaul. They were on full tilt in first half. Yes. Okay. Well, um, Rick, I appreciate you having me on here and uh, let's, uh, let's, let's maybe do this again tomorrow night. We'll be doing it either way. I hope you can uh, check in win or lose Paul Fritchner from Madison square garden. Yep. Thanks for checking in, man. I will. I will, I will be checked in. Baum and I are going to do a rebound rundown here in about 45 minutes, so uh, check out that tomorrow. And uh, we might have to do a special Saturday episode depending on how things turn out tomorrow. So we'll see. All right, Paul. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Rick. See you. Paul Fritchner, everybody, from the bowels of Madison Square Garden where he is hiding from the first half beatdown that Creighton is putting on Villanova, 28-21, with about three minutes to go in the first half. Now, make sure you download – the Rebound Rundown podcast, that's Paul's daily college basketball show. He talks about all the local teams. It's like 10 to 15 minutes. It's perfect for your drive or while you're walking the dog or reading the paper or whatever you do in the morning. So, all right, let me take it to uh, more here. More 5150, one of our regulars on the podcast here. More, what do you got for us? What an emotional roller coaster that game was, huh? Yeah, what were you thinking in the first half? What's going through your head? Uh, through my head? was these guys were mental midgets. That's what I was, I was going through my head, was that they their, their assignments on defense, they were blowing them every single time down the court. Guys with just wide-open shots, and DePaul was just sinking everything. And it was just like it was deja vu all over again. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah, and again, I, I think you're lying. If you're a Xavier fan, you said you didn't have – some type of similar thoughts here tonight during the first half, whether it was there's something about these guys that they just can't overcome this moment, or there's something about this building, 
or what what is it? But I mean, the vibes had to be at an all time low there. Xavier went into halftime. If there was anybody that's a Xavier fan that felt confident uh, midway through the first half, uh, they were hitting the hooch too hard. Well, and, and then I was just going to say, you said that perfectly, because Doc Rock was probably confident, but we I all know he Doc was. Doc uh, was like, oh, they're going to pull this out. Yeah, he I mean, but he was completely loaded. Self-medicated, I'm sure, yeah. Absolutely. So I got a couple of questions. First one is this. In your time of covering basketball, and you've done this a lot, you've seen a lot of players. Have you ever seen a guy who has had – such horrible performances in one half of a game turn it on for a second half of a game like Kobe Jones has done on a pretty regular basis throughout the season. Not often at all. And Sean Miller said after the game, while he was still on FS1 doing a a post-game interview, he said that that's one of the hardest things to do in all of sports. Turn around a game as an individual where you're playing poorly, you can't get your shots to go, and you start off struggling – to flip it in the middle of the game. He said, you know, most times guys have to get through that game and wait till the next game and be like, all right, I'll find my rhythm again. But Colby, and you're right, it's not just tonight. He's done this multiple times now where he has a bad first half or a bad 25, 30 minutes, and then down the stretch, he's able to close it out. But tonight was on another level. I mean, That's about as well as we've ever seen him take over a game and they just go to him time and time again down the stretch again he scored 18 of his 22 points in the second half tonight 11 of those points came in the final 10 minutes and he was really the guy when Xavier was trying to overtake DePaul down the stretch they finally did with about two minutes to play it was all Colby Jones I I could not be more impressed with the way he played and you know on one hand if you're a Xavier fan and, and you're looking at is Colby Jones going to be a first round pick or not the way he played tonight yeah he sure as hell looked like it Uh, But that's also a really good problem to have if you're a Xavier fan because it means good things of what might come in the next few weeks. Well, I can tell you right now, I do not plan on him being in a Musketeer uniform next season. I think that's probably Uh, a safe bet. The second second question is this, is have you ever seen a guy who has been first team of any league be so bad on defense as Sule Boom? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's a, a fair question as well. The, the problem for Sule is he's not a great defender, and I don't think he's ever made it much of a priority in the past. So he's tried to raise that level of his game. Not only is he dealing with just trying harder and learning how to play harder on the defensive end this year, but he's also dealing with a major jump up in the level of talent and athleticism and size that he's going against on a nightly basis. And he has some physical limitations, which really holds him back as much as anything. I just don't know that there's much he can do. Sometimes he's even in the right spot and he does a decent job. Tonight's probably not one of those nights. It didn't seem like he was able to stay in front of Gibson at all. But there have been games where it feels like he's staying with guys and he's in the right spot. He's trying to challenge shots and there's just not a lot he can do because of his lack of size and strength. You know, I look at like uh, like a Villanova and uh, a Providence, and maybe even to a lesser extent, Creighton, uh, they have those guards who are, you know, stronger than him. I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's not a strong guy. I mean, you can see it. He's very, very thin. But Gibson is not a big guy. 
but he was just getting his doors blown off of him one play after another anytime he was on Gibson. And he, when he wasn't on Gibson, whoever whoever else he was guarding, he was getting his doors blown off by that guy too. Uh, I mean, uh, there was I don't know what the guy's name is. The guy came off the bench. Uh, he might have been their seventh or eighth guy off the yeah, bench. Yeah, Murphy. Uh, he shot like five for six from the field at one point in time, and it was basically five for six on boom. Um, and I mean, that if, if there's anything that worries me going forward into the NCAA tournament, is going to be how are we going to be able to hide him on defense? Because that's basically what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to hide him. Well, and look, they've been dealing with it all year, so it's nothing new. They've won a whole lot of games with Sule Boom being an issue for them on the defensive end. And they've been able to overcome it. So that's not like a new issue for them or something that they have to develop a new plan for. But that's why I've also been saying all along, Xavier, as much as any team in the country, is going to be matchup dependent when it comes to their level of success in the NCAA tournament. And you could say that about most teams, but Xavier probably as much as anyone because of that issue at the point guard position. If you have a really dynamic point guard, that's going to give Xavier some trouble. If your point guard likes to come downhill off ball screens and they have some strength or they're really athletic, that's going to give Xavier trouble. There's no question about it. And the other problem that you, you get into now is without Zach Fremantle, originally I would have said a team like Purdue, who has two freshman guards out there, not a big scorer at the point guard position, but they have this stud center who's seven foot four. Well, that's a pretty good matchup for Xavier. Because, yeah, that seven foot four center may be able to score against Jack Nungy and Zach Fremantle. They're not elite defenders by any stretch, but at least you have two bodies plus a Jerome Hunter plus a Cesar Edwards that you can run out there. You can foul him a little bit. You can do some gimmicky things defensively and junk it up a little bit against him, crowd him more. But you don't have to worry about Sule Boom getting dominated and being in a matchup that you just can't handle. But now the problem with facing Purdue at this juncture is without Zach Fremantle available. You are terrified of a team throwing it inside early to a star big man and Jack Nungy getting a a quick foul or two, and now all of a sudden you're really screwed. So that's where Xavier has really lost some wiggle room and margin for error here heading into the NCAA tournament without Zach Freeman. You're absolutely right, Rick. You're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I think that that is one of the things that we just have to accept as a Cincinnati sports fan is that we're always going to have to deal with some catastrophic injury uh, (laughs) that we're going to have to overcome uh, pretty much any team that we've played. Uh, Last question is this. How in the hell is Jeffrey Anderson roughing a second game this uh, today? What the hell is up with that? I'll never understand how the officiating schedules work. The, The amount of games these guys call the amount of travel they have in between them, the lack of sleep, and the fact that some of them are just old. I don't like what what is it with our country where we're obsessed with having people out of their prime be at the highest level of the job? Like, why don't we it's a job that requires being in shape. Why don't we get some people that are in their prime of their athleticism and and fitness like, you know, someone in their mid to late 30s or, or early 40s, potentially, instead of all these guys who are closing in on 60 and can't keep up? Is there is there someone in particular that you might be thinking of at this point in time, Rick? Literally, um, literally is, all is, of them. Is there someone that uh, has maybe an Irish sounding name? Brian O'Connell is in there, but like I'm not even singling him out. There's so many of them, and and you got to understand, like I call games in the Horizon League every night, so I've got a different set of officials for the most part than what you guys are seeing in the Big East, and it's it's the same deal there. 
You have the same issues there. And Jeffrey Anderson, by the way, he had an NKU game this year, and he's the worst and most unprofessional official we've had all season inside Truist Arena. He was arguing with fans and, you know, it just acted like, look at me, I refed in a Final Four. It's a, it, the guy's a clown show. When you look up the uh, term ref show, his picture shows up. Uh, Rick, thank you very much for everything that you do. This is great. I love it. Onward and upward for the Muskies. Let's see what happens tomorrow night. I'm rooting for Nova. I'd like to see them. We'll see you. All right, more Appreciate it as always. And with that, I don't see any more calls. Let's leave it right there. I think we've hit on everything we need to hit on. The final from Madison Square Garden tonight, Xavier 89, DePaul 84. The Musketeers will play in the semifinals of the Big East Tournament tomorrow night. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.